Thank you for joining us at FX Church. We're starting a new series in the book of Joshua this week, and we'll be going through it over the next several weeks. Uh, we just want to thank you again for taking the time to go through God's Word together with us. Um, it's one of my joys and privileges to, to get to pe- tell people about who God is uh, in His Word, and uh, hopefully it's an encouragement uh, to you. Um, you know, the title of our series <clears throat> is called Inheritance. Um, most of the time, Joshua is preached from the perspective of be strong and courageous, and you'll see why that phrase is mentioned often, but strong and courageous about what? Why? For ourselves, for our desires, for our dreams, for something we're trying to get? Well, if you look at the book of Joshua, the object of our courage and our strength is mentioned 60 times, and that word is inheritance. Be strong and courageous for your God and those who have faithfully served before you. I'm going to give you the privilege of seeing it and doing it, God says. That's a privileged inheritance. Not even the angels have it. If you check out the image on our website or the image for this series, it's in the desert nighttime view in Israel, uh, where they would have been wandering for 40 years in the book of Exodus and Deuteronomy before we get to the book of Joshua. And the edges around it are the daytime sand. You know, God told Abraham his descendants would be as many as the stars in the heavens and sands on the shore. All they had been observing for the last 40 years as an entire generation died off one by one because of the curse they brought on themselves because God said, because of what you've done, you're going to die in the wilderness. He delivered them from slavery in Egypt. He was going to take them into the promised land. And then because of their disobedience, he said, this generation is going to have to wander and pass away. And then the next generation will be the ones that go into the promised land. They had only a future inheritance to focus on for others, for their children, their grandchildren, for the people around them, and the hopes of a future eternal inheritance for themselves of what the Bible talks about being resurrection. This was an inheritance that they did not earn. They didn't deserve it. If you read the Bible, you know that. And they got it because of their connection to the grace of God, their desire to to repent, to to know Him, to be His children. And that's how an inheritance works. An inheritance works because of who we're connected to. And, And they either had to reject or embrace that reality. And the nations around them would have to face a similar choice and grave consequences to their lives if they didn't respond to the God who offers an inheritance. Have you ever received an inheritance? You might think, well, no, I've never received a a big cash inheritance. We all inherit. You've benefited and you've been hurt by the people of your past. There's been DNA that you've inherited that you had no choice over. There are circumstances you've been put in that weren't circumstances of your own choosing. And the generation that's getting ready to go from the desert to the promised land, many of them were born in captivity or in the wilderness. They didn't have a choice. That's where they grew up. And now they were going to have to figure out something entirely different. They were going to have to learn from the wisdom and the lifestyle that they knew, but then transition to a different lifestyle. 
it's a mixed bag when we inherit both sin and blessing. And I hope that through this series, we better understand the inheritance that God offers people that have a relationship with Him. Our theme verse for the book is Joshua 1.6. It says, Be strong and courageous, for you will distribute the land I swore to their fathers to give them as an inheritance. Why be strong and courageous? Because if we don't believe what we're fighting for is worth it, we won't be strong and courageous. It takes strength and courage to go after something bigger than ourselves. Not pride and arrogance, which our culture teaches, but humble, bold obedience. And God says for an inheritance that's not even of this world. It's literally of another world. He says, believe the inheritance. You you can't see it. You can't have it right now. You don't know if you'll receive it. But be strong and courageous in the promise and character of God. You see, God is doing battle with our version of the promised land right now in the midst of this pandemic that we're in. All the things that we've cherished and held on to, the the hopes that we had of maybe even giving our children an inheritance, maybe that's gone now. We don't know what we're going to inherit or what things are going to be like after this. That's exactly where we find God's people. And just like them, we can't fix it. We can't bring the inheritance to ourselves. It's a gift that's given and a gift that can be taken away. All we can do is be faithful while we wait for him to bring his inheritance that will never be taken away, as we'll look at today. It takes courage to obey in the midst of very little benefit and many consequences. And that's exactly what we see them doing as they wander through the wilderness and now as they get ready to go into the promised land and the consequences that are coming and not knowing what the true benefits will be. What does that even look like? Is it courageous right now in the midst of this pandemic to stay home or go out, to wear a mask or not wear a mask, to work or or let your life fold in because you can't make an income? We, We are so confused right now over what bold, courageous strength looks like. And first, you have to start with the end in mind. And Joshua gives us a great picture of that. In Joshua 1, 1, it says this, after the death of Moses, the Lord's servant. The the death of Moses would have brought an array of emotions. We have a lot of death happening right now, and not just death to COVID, the normal stuff, cancers and flu season and all the other things. Death is a part of the reality of our world. And whenever you have death, there's a range of emotions that people experience. And with the death of Moses, who had been, who had delivered his people, performed miracles that God's hand was on. He had the the faithfulness of God who had led them out of captivity and led them in the wilderness, they would have had fears of anxiety and there would have been maybe some relief that Moses was the last one to die and so now we can go into the promised land. And so like guilt, a feeling of relief that it's over, there would have been anxiety, anger, confusion, doubt, maybe some excitement. They had been 40 years in wandering in the desert eating manna that God would bring down from heaven as their food, and 40 years of waiting for that entire generation to die in the desert. They were moving constantly, picking up camp and moving their camp, going in circles, waiting on God. They were trusting leaders that 
that had been sent to them and Moses and Aaron and the priests and others. And sometimes they didn't do what was right and they messed up and they thought, can we trust them? I mean, Moses didn't get to go into the promised land because God said, you you messed up and so I'm not going to take you in. And Moses accepted that consequence and he served God for, for all those years faithfully in the midst of it. You see, it takes strength and courage to obey in the midst of very little benefit and consequences. And Moses did that. And you see, a day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day, the scripture said. It had been 1,100 years since Noah's promise that God would make him fruitful and multiply. It had been 600 years since Abraham heard the promise that he was going to have a promised land and his descendants would be as numerous as the stars and the sand, a promise, promises that God is still fulfilling to this day. And we have been waiting from Abraham to Jesus, that, that was a, a, a long wait of like 2,000 years. And, and we have been waiting since then. Like God is all about this process of trusting him, being strong in the, and courageous through life, not to get out of life. And, and when people die, they leave behind an inheritance of some sort, not just financial, but, but emotional and, and intellectual and, and all the things that are left and sometimes some really bad inheritance is left behind. See, God is doing battle with our version of the promised land. He's seeing if, if we'll go back, try to go back to slavery, back to Egypt, which the people wanted to do. If, if we'll just try to stay in the wilderness and survive, even though we're not going to have manna from heaven anymore, God's not going to provide. Or, or maybe it's, let's go for something greater than us. Their earlier view was it was too hard and they wanted to go back to Egypt, the Israelites, to the way things were. You hear that all the time in the midst of this pandemic. We're there today talking about that. You see, will we try to go back? Will we keep wandering or will we try to change the promises and the will of God? Or will we be faithful to move towards his promises and his promised land, which isn't here yet? It's going to come one day, which we'll look at. You see, all we can do is be faithful while we wait for Him, for God to bring His promise. And you know what? We may die without ever seeing it, just like they did when they wandered a generation in the wilderness. But will we be bold? Will we be strong and courageous in the midst, believing that there's an inheritance possibly greater for someone else than for me, that it's worth living for? See, Moses did that. In Deuteronomy 34, when you back one book up from Joshua, it says, So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, as the Lord had said. He buried him in the valley of the land of Moab, facing Beth Peor, and no one to this day knows where his grave is. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eyes were not weak, and his vitality had not left him. The Israelites wept for Moses in the plains of Moab for 30 days. Then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses came to an end. You see, God in his grace gave them the information they needed to trust him. Those of us who have a surrendered our, our lives to, to God through Jesus have been given the same benefit. We've been given the information and the ability we need to serve God. And there's times of weeping. And it's amazing. We would have said, man, Moses still has so much life to live. He was so healthy and strong, but it was time for him to, to pass away. And, and it was time for him to trust that, that there was a future inheritance for him, a resurrection. 
And it goes on, and, and you got to remember that th- at this time, the Israelites had been carrying around Joseph, the um, famed Joseph from Joseph and Pharaoh and the Old Testament and what he did to deliver his people and bring them into Egypt where they became slaves later. But at the time, Joseph was the second in command to Pharaoh. They had been carrying around Joseph's bones throughout wandering in the wilderness because they made a promise that they would take Joseph's bones into the promised land. And they were going to keep that promise. And now Moses can't even have his bones go into the promised land. God buries Moses, we read in Deuteronomy in just a moment. You see, will we make sacred cows of everything? Because see, Moses could have said, well, if we're carrying Joseph's bones, then let's carry mine. But see, God didn't want them to make a sacred cow. And so God buried Moses on the mountain so that no one to this day knows where he's buried. Because God wants us to trust him, not trust some kind of program or something that that happened before that, that we can do again, and it'll happen the same way. It it may or may not. And we've got to decide what we and others, what we will do and what we'll tell others they need to do when the end of their allotted time comes like it did for Moses. In Deuteronomy 34, 9, it says that Joshua, the son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. So the Israelites obeyed him and did as the Lord commanded Moses. No prophet had arisen again in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. That's huge. God didn't know many people in Scripture face to face until Jesus came. He was unparalleled for all the signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do against the land of Egypt to Pharaoh and to all his officials and to all this land. And for all the mighty acts and power and terrifying deeds that Moses performed in the sight of all of Israel. Here it says that Joseph, the son of Nun, was filled because Moses had had laid hands on him. He had passed the mantle on to, to Joshua. You see, if we're not filled by God and by his Holy Spirit and a relationship with God, then we have nothing. And we're getting ready next week in the in the biblical calendar that 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 God's people, the Israelites, have been celebrating thousands of years the idea of Shavat, of the coming of the Torah, the, the Old Testament word that came to Moses when he went up on the mountain, and the word that came down, and now he ascends another mountain, and he's buried, and now he sees the Spirit is on Joshua, and that it's time for him to move on. The New Testament or in the modern church, we call that Pentecost, the sign of in Acts when the Holy Spirit came down that, that would help us understand the truth of God's Word and, and walk with God and obey Him in His Word. You see, that's exactly what we see in this example here. Not to mention next weekend is coming up on Memorial Day weekend. And we remember, hopefully, on Memorial Day weekend that God sent His Spirit to empower us to be bold and courageous for His promise and our future promised land, not just for our temporary land that we live in, because that's the memorial that we're supposed to remember. It goes on in Joshua 1.1, and it says, The Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, who had served Moses. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now you and all the people prepare to cross over the Jordan, that's the Jordan River, to the land I am giving the Israelites. I have given you every place where the sole of your foot treads, just as I promised Moses. This is powerful. God is a God of keeping his promises. He's keeping his promise here going all the way back in the Old Testament. 
And the Lord speaks to Joshua in this moment, and he tells them, it's time for you. It's time for you to lead the people to cross. You have to remember the Jordan River would have been at flood stage right now. Most scholars believe that crossing the Jordan River would have been incredibly dangerous. How are they going to do that? How is that going to happen? But remember, there are only two people left from the previous generation who saw God actually part the Red Sea, and that's Joshua and Caleb. That Joshua and Caleb are the two that remember, maybe some children, but Joshua and Caleb as adults are the two that remember what had happened. And so maybe Joshua knew what was getting ready to happen that we'll see in a couple of weeks. You see, the word Joshua, the name Joshua means Jesus. It means Yahweh who saves, Yeshua. That this Joshua, the son of Nun who had served Moses, it means that Jesus is the God gave his son when he came to earth the same name. And his name means Yahweh saves. That wait, this Joshua, this Yahweh who saves, is going to lead us and save us. Son of none actually means um, fish or to propagate or greatly increase. That's what son of none means. And isn't it interesting? I don't know if it means anything, but that Jesus spent a lot of time dealing with fishermen and he fed the 5,000 and the 4,000 by multiplying fish. You see, God didn't speak something new to Joshua. Joshua didn't get a new vision from God. This had been the vision all along. Moses drew them out of Egypt. He sinned and was not going to be allowed to go to the promised land, and he discipled and prepared Joshua and the generation that was coming to be able to go into the inheritance, to be strong and courageous in going into the inheritance. Joshua isn't going to save them. God is the one that will save them through Joshua, which is very similar when you think of the New Testament, that it's through the death, the the earthly bodily death of Jesus through which we are saved and have access to the promises of the Father. You see, and God says, it's the land that I have promised, that I am giving you. See, that's grace. You see, justice is we get what we deserve. Mercy is we don't get what we deserve. Grace is we are giving something that we could never earn and we could never deserve. And that's what this land, the Israelites didn't deserve this land. They didn't deserve to have it. God said, I'm trying to show people what kind of God I am. And through this act, trying to show them that there's going to come a day when the whole earth will be mine and those who obey me can be with me in it. And he teaches the principle that Joshua believed all along that we already have the promised land, not yet. Remember, it was Joshua and Caleb as the two spies. They sent in 12 spies and Joshua and Caleb came back with a report that said, we can go into the promised land. And the other spies, the other 10, sowed doubt and discord into the community of believers because there were giants in the land and military powers and they were slaves. And how are we going to go in there and overthrow them? And even though they saw all the miracles of God and they'd seen what God had done and they knew the history, they, they didn't trust it. They just saw the problems. And Joshua and Caleb said, no, we believe God's promise. We believe he's already given us the land, just not yet. So we need to take it. We need to believe that and we need to move towards it. See, that's the same thing the New Testament says, that through a relationship with Jesus, with Yahweh who saves, our Joshua, that that we already have the gift of heaven, just not fully yet. In Hebrews 8, it says it this way, verse 5, these things serve as a 
copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. As Moses warned them when he was about to complete the tabernacle, for God said, be careful that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown to you on the mountain. That's the mountain he went to the first time, not the one that he went to the second time and died on. But verse six says, but Jesus has now obtained a superior ministry. And to that degree, he is the mediator of a better covenant, which has been legally enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would be, have been no occasion for a second one. In other words, the first covenant still didn't deal with the problem, our full problem of, of sin, and it didn't deal with how to have access to God in our hearts. It, it just dealt with how to get ready for the promised land and how to prepare ourselves for the ultimate promised land, Jesus came to make it absolutely clear and to establish a new covenant with his people and with anyone who would trust him that they could, they could have a promised land that they may not have a marked off territory of one of the 12 tribes of Israel that's marked off for them, but he has many other lands and places that he can promise. And then it goes on in verse 8, and it says, But finding fault with his people, he says, Look, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. See, the Israelites were disobedient. They caused a mess. And God said, You know, I've tried to teach you. I've tried to show you. And I just want you to know that there's going to come a day when there's going to be a new covenant, when I'm going to fix this. And this is God's message for all of us. When he told Adam and Eve after they sinned, he said, Look, there's coming a new covenant covenant someday. I'm going to raise up a seed from the woman that will save your souls, that will, that will bring a new earth, that will bring all things back the way they should be. You see, that's the beauty of what we have in this message that God gives us. You see, he fulfilled the old covenant when he came. Jesus obeyed the law perfectly. He never sinned as an Israelite, which the Israelites had never done. He fulfilled every bit of the law. And once a law or a contract has been fulfilled, it is stamped, completed. It's finished. And now he's established a new covenant based on a relationship with him and his blood and his sacrifice and based on the promises that he gave in the New Testament that didn't go against the old promises, but fulfilled them. They made them more clear instead of being dim in a mirror. They're clear to us now. And he's still fulfilling the old covenants in the new covenant. And the thing is, is the new covenant's much more fulfilling than the old one. And you know, God sets the terms and the terms have not changed. They've just gotten way better. They haven't changed like I'm changing the terms and you don't have to, I'm not gonna, you can't do any of this anymore. No, they've gotten better. For example, used to they had to sacrifice animal, those animals for their sins. That was the, the terms of the covenant. But because Jesus was our ultimate lamb, Passover lamb and sacrifice, we no longer have to sacrifice animals because we have a better sacrifice to go to. And so it's been fulfilled. We all want to go back to a time often that, that fits our personal interests. But God's telling his people in this moment, I'm telling you to be strong and courageous, to, to move out in faith. Paul says that he would become all things to all people. He would take whatever courage it took so that by any means he might save some. And I do all of this because of the gospel, he says in 1 Corinthians 9, so I might be a partaker in its benefits so that I might 
have a better inheritance. I might be a part of enjoying the inheritance. You see, we're not to be slaves of the world, but for the world, to give our lives, to be strong and courageous in it so people can see him. In Joshua 1.4, he goes on and he says, Your territory will be from the wilderness and Lebanon to the great Euphrates River, all the land of the Hittites and west of the Mediterranean Sea. No one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. I will be with you just as I was with Moses. I will not leave or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you will distribute the land I swore to their fathers to give them as an inheritance. He says, look, you have a choice. You can, you can follow me and you'll live and you can practice what living really is and obedience to me, or, or you can practice death, but I want you to live with me. I want you to, to practice life and lead the people into life. You see, we're going to get to, to see the distribution someday. When Jesus comes back a second time, and, and we're going to see him distribute, and we're going to celebrate, and that's going to be a great time. The question is, are we being strong and courageous to try to to earn that promise or because we know we have it and we want others to know how great it is that our inheritance is. And so we just want people to, to see the father. We want to tell them, my dad is, he's got a great inheritance. He, he'd give you a share too. He'd invite you into this inheritance if, if you'll just allow him to, if you'll surrender to him being your father instead of looking for everyone else to fill your life. See, that's the beauty of what Joshua gives us the picture of. In, in John 14, Joshua speaks again, but not the Joshua of the Old Testament, the Yeshua, the, the Jesus saves, the, the Yahweh saves, the Jesus of the New Testament. And Jesus says in John 14, your heart must not be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If not, I would have told you, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come back and receive you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. If you were an Israelite hearing this, thinking Jesus was the Messiah, his name is Joshua, Yahweh saves, and he tells you this, you would remember, you would jump back to that Joshua passage that we just read. Your mind would jump back to the fact that he says, I'll never leave you or forsake you, that I'm going to receive you. I'm preparing a place for you. I have a promised land for you and where I'm going. And they're all going, where are you going, Lord? In other words, we already live in the promised land. We're already here in the promised land, Lord, because he was talking to Israelites living in the promised land. He's like, no, this isn't the ultimate promised land. I'm going to go away to prepare a greater promised land for you, a greater inheritance than this earth could ever provide. And he says, you know the way to where I'm going. And he goes, well, what do you mean the way? And Jesus says, no, you know the way. Just like Joshua knew the way to get into the promised land and where to cross over the Jordan. Jesus is like, look, the way is to go through the waters to believe in me, to believe in Joshua, then pass through the waters, which they're going to get ready to do to cross the Jordan, to be baptized, and then, and then to obey me and live grateful for the inheritance you have and go and fight the battles to tell people about the great God you serve. And that's exactly the same message we see in John 14. It's just the battle's a little different. But it's not a battle against flesh and blood, but against the heavenly forces that we'll see in 
just a minute. And Jesus doesn't say, look, I'm going to take you out of it. I'm just going to wipe out the land and give it to you. He says, no, you're going to have to go through it with me, trusting me, fighting alongside me. I'm going to be with you battling together. That's the message of our God. In verse 7 of chapter 1 of Joshua, it says, Above all, be strong and very courageous to carefully observe the whole instruction my servant Moses commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or the left so that you will have success wherever you go. In other words, don't look around. Stay focused. Don't look to the right or left. And then he says, the book of instru- This book of instruction must not depart from your mouth. You are to recite it day and night so that you may carefully observe everything written in it. For then you will prosper and succeed in whatever you do. You have to remember, people didn't have books in these days. They didn't have Bibles. Everything was written on scrolls and it was expensive to keep track and keep those records, which is why the Bible's accurate, because it was cherished back then. They didn't have bookstores. And so he says, you're going to have to memorize this thing. You're going to have to know it so well that it doesn't depart from your mouth, that you can recite it day and night, that your kids can recite it. I mean, that's powerful. He says, because you need to carefully observe this so that when other people observe God's people, they can see what God is really like. It's not because you're trying to earn something. God's already promised them the promised land. He's already said, I'm going to give it to you. I'm already going to be with you. He says, what now? How are you going to respond to that? And then he says, for then you will prosper and succeed in whatever you do. This is common sense. We know if we don't do what an authority figure tells us to do, it probably isn't going to work out well for us. And and that includes God. And if we're not willing to seek or discover the reason why they want us to do what they want us to do and, and trust them, then we're going to have problems. And it's going to take strength and courage to learn and to die to ourselves and to obey God in living for Him and others. To to do this, to memorize the the scriptures they had, would take strength and courage. It would take discipline. It, It would take their lives. And to move into the promised land and to trust Joshua. And once they crossed the waters of the promised land, the manna would stop, and they would have to grow crops. And he goes on, John 14 Uh, Jesus says this, remember the new Joshua, the new Yahweh saves. So Joshua says this next verse, and look at what Jesus says in the same chapter in John 14, he mirrors this. Just like we read earlier that things are dimly in a mirror, and it says, John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commands, Jesus says. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. Just like Joshua in the Old Testament had the Holy Spirit. He said, he is the spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see or know him. But you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I'm coming to you. Man, what a promise. That sometimes in the midst of this pandemic and in this mess, we can think, where is God? Where is he? I feel like I'm alone. I've been orphaned. The way I've been treated, that I inherited this mess and And I I don't know who I am or where I'm going or what I believe or what life's about. And Jesus says, look, you can know that if you know me, I've given you all the information you need because I love you. And if you ask, I'll show you how great it is to be a part of this family of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I'm even going to send a counselor. I'm going to send a a brother, big brother, so to speak. I'm going to give you a counselor that will speak to you and help you know how to do this well. I mean, How much more could God do 
for his people to show him how much he cares and to do for anyone who would say they believe in him. You know, it's been 2,000 years since Jesus wrote these words down. And we can think, when is he coming? But that's been the theme through the entire Bible, that it was hundreds of years, thousands of years over and over again of God's people waiting. And God's saying, will you wait? Will you trust me? Will Will you make me known? We've said this before, and we say it often in our church, but the Bible says the reason God hasn't come back yet and brought his promised land back to earth is because he's willing that none would perish, but to give all an opportunity for repentance. You know, and, and he's given us that, that Holy Spirit in our hearts. And then he says, wherever you're gathered, two or more are gathered together, the Spirit is there. And isn't it awesome how we can gather in such miraculous ways with technology? Is it the same? No, it is not the same. But, but I'm grateful for it. I think Paul would have been grateful to be able to write the churches in his day, or video conference, the churches in his day. And isn't it awesome that we are filled by the Holy Spirit through a relationship with Jesus? And isn't even more awesome as we start this book of Joshua, we can remember that next weekend is when God's people have been celebrating the giving of his word and and the giving of the power of the Holy Spirit to know his word that's the truth. We've been celebrating this for thousands of years And it falls on this Memorial Day weekend this year for us to remember that we live in a false promised land. I'm grateful for the land I live in. I'm grateful for the country that I live in. But I would expect a Chinese person who God allowed to be born in China to be grateful for their country and their leaders as well and to try to reach them and love their uh, people as well, just as much as I do. And so I pray that that would be our heart. He goes on and in Joshua one nine, God says, haven't I commanded you be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid or discouraged for the Lord your God is with you wherever, wherever you go. In other words, he says, look, my command is go and I'm going to be with you. Will you believe me or will you try to stay? Will you try to wander back to the mess or will you keep pressing forward? And then when you don't, when you find yourself, when you cry out to me and say, help, he's like, I'll come, I'll find you. It's like Jesus going to find the lost sheep and I'll bring you back to the fold. That's the heart of our God. It's an amazing heart that hasn't changed. And there's no other religion that presents a God like that anywhere. And he says, don't be afraid or discouraged. You might be afraid or discouraged right now in the midst of this pandemic. But can I just tell you that if you know that he is the Lord, that he is Yahweh, who is, who is the only God, then you can know that he'll be with you wherever you go because he promised it to Joshua in the Old Testament and he promised it to the Joshua, Jesus, Yahweh, who saves in the New Testament. It is a promise for people that will trust him. And man, we've got to remember that our courage and our strength doesn't come from ourselves and our ability to muster will, willpower. It comes from knowing, knowing who saves us that he is the the one that saves. And notice it's not be prideful and arrogant, it's be strong and courageous. And sometimes we twist that in our culture. Our, Our strong and courageous can become prideful arrogance. And we need to be very careful that we are strong and courageous in him, not in our own strength. And can I tell you the only way to not get discouraged is to know how close you are to him. That's it. The only way I find encouragement in this life and through the circumstances I go through is to know that 
God is close. He is in me. He is with me. And that he, and I claim and I cling to his promises of a promised land that's coming and that I can wander through this life. I can be in captivity of this life because I know that I'm going to pass one day through the waters to get to heaven. And someday he's going to make a new promised land for us all. And just like Joshua says, do what you've been commanded. And he says, look, you can be strong and courageous and not be afraid. Jesus said this in Matthew 28. When Jesus was getting ready to leave, he was getting ready to pass from this earth to the next and go to heaven. This is the command that he gave to his disciples. He said, when they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. This was after Jesus was, came back from the dead and he had been resurrected and they see him and some of them are doubting. Listen, there would have been people doubting right now before the Jordan River. Should we go? Th- is this the right thing? I mean, I know we're supposed to do that. And he says, but some doubted. When Jesus came near, just like he said he would, when Jesus came near, he wants to come near. And he said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, disciplining all the nations. See which of the nations will be my disciplined ones, be my disciples, baptizing them, taking them through the water in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. There's absolutely, positively no way that these disciples didn't get what Jesus was saying here and how he was quoting and going back to Joshua himself. When you have a Joshua speaking to you and you're an Israelite who sees Moses and Joshua as two of the greatest figures in your history, there's no way you don't make the connection here. This is powerful. And Jesus says, you know, you think I'm taking you into the promised land right now. You think I've been resurrected and now we're going to overthrow the Romans like you're going to like the Old Testament when you went into the promised land and overthrew the nations that were there. Jesus said, no, there's a different fight I want you to fight and a different way I want you to fight. In Joshua 10, 1.10, it says this, then Joshua commanded the officers of the people, Go through the camp and tell the people, get provisions ready for yourselves. For within three days, you will be crossing the Jordan to go in and take possession of the land your God is giving you to inherit it. Isn't it interesting that Moses dies, they weep, and then in three days, it was Jesus who in three days came back from the dead, that he conquered death like they're getting ready to move into the promised land and conquer. I love how God puts... The, the, the pictures of Scripture together for us so that we can see that He's been the same always and forever. He is Yahweh. He is the great I am, not I was, not I will be someday. He is the always present I am. And remember, when Joshua tells them to get ready, they got to be thinking, get ready for what? The Jordan's flooded. They've been wandering in a wilderness. They don't have any stored provisions because you can't store manna because the manna would only last for the day when you go back and read the story. They they don't have weapons. They're looking and saying, what do you mean be prepared? How do we get prepared for this? Well, getting prepared was just how Jesus tells us to get prepared, which we'll see in a minute what Paul tells us in Ephesians, that the preparation he was saying was to cleanse their hearts, to cleanse their lives, to consecrate themselves, to, to wash themselves, to get ready to say, I don't want any sin in my life. When we cross over, I want to be ready to meet my God. I want to be ready to meet 
people that don't know him. And I want to be ready to, to do what he asked me to do. That was the preparation they were get re- getting ready for because they didn't have anything else to be preparing. They didn't have chariots. They didn't have horses. They, they, they were intense. They, they, that's what they were getting. They were getting their hearts ready to cross because they didn't have the resources. Listen, you may not have resources in the midst of this pandemic, but you can get your heart ready for what God has to teach you and show you in the midst of this. And that's exactly what they're saying here. And Joshua's saying, look, God is going to give us this land. I believed it 40 years ago, Joshua says. I was one of the spies that believed he would give it to us and came back and told you we should take it. And Joshua and Caleb have been waiting 40 years for this moment. They're not about to let it slip by. And he's looking at them and saying, you guys got to get yourself spiritually ready for what we're heading into. We don't have the resources we need, but God has all the resources we could ever need and his promise will be fulfilled. Man, that's the gospel. That's what God tells us, that we know we don't have the resources we need, so we come to God. We cry out to to Jesus, to, to the new Joshua. We cry out and say, we need you to save us. We don't have the resources to go where we need to go to experience the promises that you have for us. So God, we ask you, please forgive us. If there's anything you want me to do differently, show me and I'll do it. And that's the heart of someone who gets who God really is. And in Joshua 1.12, he says, Joshua said to the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh, remember what Moses, the Lord's servant, commanded you when he said, the Lord your God will give you rest. Listen, Jesus said he would give us rest. And he will give you this land. Jesus promised that he's going to prepare a place. There's going to be a place for us. He says, your wives, your young children, and your livestock may remain in the land Moses gave you on this side of the Jordan. So these tribes, their allotted land wasn't going to be when they crossed. Moses actually gave them the land where they were standing in that moment. And he said, but your fighting men must cross over in battle formation ahead of your brothers and help them until the Lord gives your brothers rest as he has given you. And they too possess the land the Lord your God is giving them. This is an incredible picture. He's saying, look, once you get your piece of rest, once you come to know the rest and know the inheritance and know the promised land, it's not for you to sit and be like, man, I can take it easy now until, till, till Jesus comes back, till Joshua comes back. They're going to go fight and then Joshua will come back. He'll tell me how it went. God's like, no, listen, You get to keep the land you're on that Moses gave you, but you need to go with your brethren to fight. Can I just tell you, there are a lot of Christians who don't understand that that's the inheritance, that the inheritance that we're a part of is fighting for the things of God and fighting for the right things of God. See, we all want to stay at our level of conquering and comfort. And once we get our little piece of land and our little piece of rest, it's like, we're going to take it easy now. We don't want anybody to mess that up. We're going to try to keep just the relationships around us that we want. And God's like, I've got a bigger plan. And, and if you do that, it's not going to go well for you because it shows that you really don't care about the brethren, about the people of God. And you don't care about those who don't know me yet who need to be saved, which we'll see coming up that there are people that are living in the promised land that, that come to know God, who want to know him and surrender to him because of the Israelites and them marching through with the strength of their God. You see, we have to go to battle with each other. 
because God says, people who know me aren't the enemy. We have to fight together. And there's a different kind of fight that Paul talks about when we turn to Ephesians 6, chapter 10 in the New Testament. The apostle Paul, who was a Pharisee, he, he had the whole Old Testament memorized. He knew the statutes and commands of the Lord's. And he came to know Jesus when he used to kill Christians. He was, he was, came to know that the Old Testament Joshua wasn't all there was. There is a new Jesus, and, and Jesus revealed himself, and Paul repented. And he said, I want to go to the promised land you're offering, not try to cling to the one I'm in. And in Ephesians 6, this Paul, God has this Paul write these words. In verse 10, finally be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Does that sound familiar? Be strengthened, be courageous by the Lord. It's not a strength we muster up. And then he says in verse 11, put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the tactics of the devil. See, it's not about the people we're fighting. There's an enemy behind the scenes that's wrecking things. And he says, look, you're gonna have to put on the full armor of God. And then when he lists the armor of God, he doesn't list things that are like real armor. He says they're spiritual armor, spiritual things. When he says the sword of the spirit, he's saying that's, that's or the sword of truth. It's the sword of the spirit. It's, it, that's the sword that leads us to know how to, to fight, to, to cut and what to cut away and when to pull our sword back. Like th- that's, that's what the sword is, but it's not an actual sword I carry around saying you better believe or I'm going to kill you. And so Paul says, because there are tactics the devil uses, you're going to have to put on the armor. He says, for our battle is not against flesh and blood. See, in this first covenant, their battle was against some flesh and blood. God knew that the flesh and blood they were going into, they weren't going to surrender and they were going to have to fight. And he says in this instance, now the fight's been won. Jesus has paid the price. We're no longer fighting for an earthly promised land. God's not trying to prove anything about himself anymore because he's already proved it all in his son and he's proven that he's going to come back. And so he says, so now our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the world powers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. He's like, we have a different battle. It's still the same battle, but the tactics that we fight with, the tactics of the devil are different now because of what Jesus did on the cross. And our tactics and response are going to look a little different. Then he says in verse 13, this is why you must take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the day of evil and having prepared everything. (laughs) This is like Joshua speaking to his people. You could, it'd be like, you could take Paul's message and Joshua could preach it and Joshua would come and preach this one. And he says, to take your stand, stand therefore. And we know when we read further in Joshua that the children of Israel march around the city and then they take their stand and they shout, and the city collapses. I mean, he's laying this out, and then Paul says, stand there for him, and he lists the things, the armor of God, and what they mean, and the breastplate of righteousness, and the helmet of salvation, and and he he shod your feet with the gospel. He, He lays all these things out, and then he says, after I lay out all these pieces of the armor and what they are, he says, pray at all times in the Spirit. You see, just like Joshua said, get ready for three days, They weren't getting military weapons ready. They didn't have armor. They didn't take any from Egypt. They fled in haste. They didn't have swords. They they didn't have chariots or horses. What they were getting ready is they were getting their hearts ready to see what God could do. They They were getting their hearts ready to say, God, 
Go before us. We want to see what you can do, which is someone surrendered to you, not what we can do and what we can prove and who we can overthrow. See, that's what praying at all times does to you in the Spirit. It changes your heart. It changes how you see things. And that's why Paul says in Ephesians 6, pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request. Pray it. Stay alert in this with all perseverance and intercession for the saints. Pray also for me that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. For I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might be bold enough, strong and courageous enough to in him to speak as I should. What are the focus of your prayers? Do you see that that this is one of our main battlefields is prayer, intercession for people to come to know him and that we should speak on, on God's behalf. The Israelites are getting ready to realize this when they go into the promised land. And seriously ask yourself right now, do you spend most of your time praying for, for deliverance, a deliverance that we're already promised? Or do you pray for perseverance like Paul does? And then he says, pray for the saints to have the perseverance I have. How are we interceding for people so that they can get out of things or so that they can persevere, be obedient, and proclaim the message with boldness regardless of their health, wealth, and earthly prosperity? You see, that's the new covenant that we've been given. And he says, it's not about our well-being on this earth, but our well-being to show people our God and his promises that he will bring one day. And what we pray for will, will determine what we choose to be bold and courageous in believing and doing. And our prayers are going to be a reflection of that. And Paul says, I'm an ambassador in chains. Paul is in in slavery as an Israelite to the Romans. And at this point, when he writes this letter, he's in jail. It is not going well for Paul's life. And he says, this is the way to do battle, to put on armor. But he can't put on armor. He's in jail. Yes, he can put on the spiritual armor and get ready for what God's getting ready to do. And you see, the new covenant that we have is bold to speak the proclamation of God and bold to be strong and courageous to give our lives, not to take life whenever we want. It's it's an amazing transition that God does. It's an amazing thing that we can do to participate in that. Joshua goes on to say in chapter 1, verse verse, uh, 11, he says, You may then return to the land of your inheritance and take your possession of what Moses, the Lord's servant, gave you on the east side of the Jordan. So remember, he tells these Reubenites and Gadites and the half tribe of Manasseh, he says, you're going to have to get ready to go fight with your brethren. And then once the battle's over, you'll be able to return to your inheritance. That's what Jesus told his disciples. He said, go, go and fight for the souls of those who will be your brothers and sisters. Go and fight for those that will repent and turn to me. And then he says, when that time is over, when the world has heard, when the gospel has been preached to all the world, then I will return and I will give your inheritance and you will have eternal rest. And you'll have it not just on this side of the Jordan, but all over the world. And that's what Revelation 21 says. Revelation 21.1 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. This is John the Apostle speaking. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. 
For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no, no longer existed. I also saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Remember, there's a loud voice we're getting ready to hear when they go attack the first city. It says, look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. Man, this is the same promise that's been given for all of human history, that we have to trust God for him to deliver us, for his promised land. And whenever we get to a point where we think we've conquered something, we're comfortable, that's when the enemy and the devil has his tactics to destroy us. And that's what happened to the people of Israel in their city or in their history. They stopped trusting God for his city, his deliverance, his coming new promised land, and got comfortable with what they wanted. Joshua wraps out the first chapter in verse 16. He says, the people answered, the Gadites, Reubenites, half-tribe of Manasseh, maybe other people, everything you've commanded us, we will do. And everywhere you send us, we will go. Just like Jesus said, go, we will obey you. Just like Jesus said, teach them to obey, just as we obeyed Moses in everything. And may the Lord our God be with you as he is with Moses, or he was with Moses. Anyone who rebels against your order and does not obey your words and all that you command him will be put to death. Above all, be strong and courageous. They say back to Joshua. And isn't that what we do when we pray? We ask Jesus, Jesus, we believe this about you. We believe that it, people that don't know what you, when you come back someday and you lead us, they're going to perish. They're going to die both physically and eternally without knowing you, without surrendering to you and to your mission and to your heavenly father through you. And so Jesus, help be strong and courageous. We're thankful, God, that you are strong and courageous and we trust you. Be strong and courageous for us, he says. Let me ask you, Will you really do this? Will you really obey? Will you really go? You see, the, the Israelites say they would do this, but we find later that they don't. They, they stop obeying. They, they get comfortable. You see, and there's death for disobedience. That's the inheritance we've inherited. We've inherited an earthly death because of disobedience. Nobody gets out alive. But God has provi provided an eternal life and a new body and a new life on this earth someday that we just read about if we'll trust him. You see, we have an inheritance of death, but God offers us an inheritance of life. And the Bible is clear, you will inherit one or the other. And the new Joshua, Jesus, Yahweh who saves, offers us a new inheritance and asks us to live our life here on this earth at best in the wilderness and probably in captivity. He says, be strong and courageous to those of us who know him because nothing here can compare to what's coming. But we'd rather be rebellious, probably average and take it easy than to be obedient, strong and courageous. And you know, God is still doing battle with our versions of the promised land. And just like them, we can either participate in bringing the promised land to earth by being strong and courageous in him daily obeying him while we wait for him to come and bring his promise. And we can prepare others for the coming promised land while we wait and prepare them for their day.
What will be your inheritance? What will you leave as an inheritance? God has told us clearly what our response should be. Will you do what God has commanded and surrender to Joshua, to Jesus, to to Yahweh who saves, so that he can give you an eternal inheritance and then later an earthly inheritance after the battle's over and help you be strong and courageous through it all? Because that's the message of our book. And if you don't know him, I would encourage you to get ready because he's got some great things in store. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to bow before you. I pray that if anyone doesn't know you, that they would understand that you sent your Joshua, your Jesus. You are the Yahweh who saves Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You've given us everything to show us how much you are with us and love us if we'll just surrender to you and that you will fulfill your promise. The question is, will we be a part of it or will we retreat? Will we wander around or will we truly embrace the the battle that's worth it in front of us? And so God, I pray that people would embrace that battle of walking with you, of knowing you, of knowing your word, of trusting in you and your promises. And if someone here doesn't know you, I pray they would surrender today. And for those of us who do, we'd really go back through this book and this, these verses and really have you dive into our heart, let you speak to us about changes that we may need to make and how we need to live differently in light of who you are and what you've been doing for thousands of years and what you will end up doing and finishing completely and what you'll be doing for eternity and we'll be doing with you. Pray all this in your name. Amen. Thanks for joining us. Next week, we're going to dive into Joshua chapter 2. And in Joshua chapter 2, Joshua sends out two spies, like he and Caleb went out earlier, and they end up staying at a prostitute's house. And so, uh, I don't know about you, but if I sent a couple military guys out and I found out they were staying with a prostitute, I might struggle as their leader of what in the world is going on. But that's our God. He does amazing things, and He does things in ways we never saw coming. And we're going to look at that next week. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.